And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. On today's show, we'll continue our look back at some Bottom Line Faith highlights of 2017. Let's start with some favorite moments of our interview with Steve Zanaco, President and CEO of Zanaco and Associates. I actually had in my mind, I saved that child, not God, because I did the skill, I did the touch, I did this thing. I realized today that outside of God's touch, I am no better than that hammer that is on your workbench. Well, hello everyone. This is Ray Hilbert. I am your host here at Bottom Line Faith. And the analogy we like to use here at Bottom Line Faith is where we lift the hood and we tinker around in the engine of Christian leadership, business leaders, key thought leaders across the country. We are speaking with my dear friend and brother in Christ, Steve Zanaco. Steve is the president and CEO of Zanaco Associates in the Indianapolis, Indiana area. And in just a moment, we'll hear from Steve and learn more about his business. So let's jump right in. Let's talk with Steve Zanaco. Steve, good morning and welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Morning, Ray. Great to be here with you, as always. We've talked just briefly. We gave him the name of your company, Zanaco Associates. Just take a moment, help our audience to understand what your company does, what you do, maybe a little bit how you got started and why. Sure. The company, really, it's a fairly simple process, but... I am hired and my company is hired uh, to get into high-valued brick-and-mortar locations, mainly in the membership club business. So when you think of Costco and Sam's Club, those are two outlets that have a very, very specific business path, require very, very specific pricing, packaging, logistics. And so companies, they're highly sought after, uh, difficult to get into because they carry so few amount of products. And so companies hire me to help them from beginning to end to both package, price, logistics, setup, and then actually to sell the product into outlets like Sam's and Costco. So this may be a bad analogy, so correct me, but it's almost like a, a private shark tank in terms of <laughs> yeah. what we see happen on that television show. You're really in the distribution acquisition business. Absolutely. Is that fair? Yes. And it's uh, clubs have a, uh, a specific model. And so it's very counterintuitive. For yeah. instance, they work on very low margins. People think they get their great pricing because they beat up on their suppliers. They don't. They just work on an entirely different model. And so it's really critical that you approach them on the model that they need to see. That's something I have 30 years of experience in. And so that experience is really my value. Let's kind of start uh, a little bit now along the faith pathway, yes. and we'll integrate this back into business and some of the challenges and so forth that you faced. But give us just a snapshot of your spiritual journey. Did yeah. you grow up in a Christian home or did you come to Christ later in life? What, what's that look like for you? I grew up in a God, what I would call a God-fearing home. We honored God, believed in God, feared God, went to church. And uh, I'm really grateful to my parents for what they gave me in that. In terms of understanding a personal relationship with God, that is not something that I understood. And honestly, I'm very surprised, even through high school and college, that I heard very, very little about. And so I wasn't exposed to that. And so I grew up with a, a great reverence for God, a great fear of God, but no understanding of a relationship and believing that I could both speak to him, that he would speak to me, that his word was alive. So I spent no time in the scriptures. I wasn't encouraged in that. And so that was kind of my background coming up through high school and college. 
I graduated college. I was the presidential scholar of my university in marketing, so I was highly sought after for jobs. So I had lots of job offers, ended up taking, long story short, a great job with Dow Chemical Company, mm. one of the top 35 companies in the world at that time. I was growing in success. They put me on a fast track program. Uh, quite honestly, I was moving faster and being paid more than I deserved at that age and mm. from my experience. But still, in my yearning, it wasn't uh, fast enough. And so I began a journey to look at creating my own path for faster success, really tied to faster uh, money. There was no doubt that I believed my contentment and my success was going to be tied to my income. Um, I don't think I would have worn that outwardly, but there was no question that my inward struggle always had to do with the question, do I have enough measured against other people? All of those things which drove me. So uh, I left Dow, started this business, which then created kind of a paradigm shift for me where I was with Dow. I could see anybody I wanted to at the time because I had the business card, right? And the company behind me. Now I'm on my own and I can't get past secretaries for appointments. And so the first thing that starts to happen is I started realizing how much of my path that I was feeling successful had to do with my resume and the company behind me and how little it had to do with Steve Zanacco. That was a big challenge for me. Wow. My discontent can't always drove me back to the answer of saying, well, if I just made more money, if I could create my path, I will then be content and happy again. So again, long story short, over the next three years, we really struggled in the business like a lot of new businesses do. But each year I would make paths forward. Each year I would set an income goal and say, if I would reach this income, I'm going to be all set. I'm going to be at peace. I'm going to be content. And each year I passed that income goal. On the fourth year in which I passed that goal, and now I was making, quite honestly, more than I would have ever dreamed of when I came out of college. It was way bigger than my first figure, four times it, and I just passed it by and was convinced that now I had arrived at the place that I needed. I was driving on the road and my life changed because the second I had received that bonus and thought I was content within two minutes of driving in my sports car to my gym, I was in tears realizing that once again, that the end point had shifted on me again, and that I did not feel any differently than when I had passed the other three goals. And I was desperate in feeling like I'm never going to get there. Had no answers. And I met a young man on the side of the road who was broken down on the side of the road. And that meeting changed my life and the trajectory of my life. You've shared that story with me, so I think it'd be really important, and we've got lots to talk about here. Sure. By the way, we call this the fastest 30 minutes online, <laughs> yeah. so this is going to go fast. Okay. I promise you, and I promise it always yeah. does. But that really yeah. was a transformational encounter Absolutely. for you. G give us the highlights of what Again, happened there. Driving down, brokenhearted, uh, in a sports car, going to my club, dressed in my Nike getup, feeling like the world would look and say, I've got it all going on, had reached my fourth income goal. And I went on the entrance ramp to a highway and there was a man broken down on the side of the road. It was really cold, it was December. And for some reason, still don't know today, I decided even in my discontent, I decided I would stop and help him. And I will keep this brief, but basically he had an old, old car. He was about my age. I was under 30 at the time. I was making real good money. He was under 30 and he had an old beat up car that he couldn't even keep running. I got out and he said, uh, actually I walked up to the car and knocked on the front windows, they were frozen over and the back windows rolled down and there was a man in the back with a coat, gloves, hat and scarf reading his Bible. 
My first thought was, you're nuts. You're going to freeze to death here. You're not even asking for help. No one knows you're here. But as I began to speak with him, he asked me, he said, if you just turn your car around and, and give me a jump on my battery, I'll be on my way home. So I began to turn my car around, set up the battery. But as I did, this man started to share his life with me. And he started sharing about the conversation he had had with his wife that day. He started sharing about what he was going to do with his kids that night. He started sharing about their story time and the meals that they shared. And I found myself listening to this man and realizing that I was so intrigued with his life. He could not have been more in direct contrast to what I was feeling in my life. And what kept going through my mind, Ray, is that I kept saying, and you don't even have enough money to fix an old beat up car. And in my mind, I could not reconcile the peace that he had with the obvious financial struggles that he was under. My sports car was actually too small to uh, jump his battery, so I had to try and get some other people to pull over. Nobody would pull over. I got angry. I started yelling at cars coming by. He walked up and put his arms on my shoulders and said, don't worry, Steve, God will take care of it. And I promise, I wanted to turn to him and say, how do you know that? <laughs> Why are you so sure that things are going to be okay? Because I'm not. And as we finished up, I just remember this incredible, like no feeling I've had of saying I didn't want him to leave. I wanted to sit down and talk to him. I wanted to find out. He had not shared the gospel with me. He had not done said any of that. He just shared his life with me. And as he drove off, he rolled down his window and yelled out backwards, God bless you, Steve. And I sat on the side of the road and I wept for 30 minutes. And my world's crashed in because I realized on that highway, everybody that drove by that saw my sports car, my gym membership, my Nike getup would walk by and say, that's the guy who's got it going on. And anybody who drove by him was going to say, that's the guy who's struggling. And yet that day I knew as he drove off, I didn't have one thing that he longed for. And yet as he drove off, I sat there saying over and over and over again, I'd give anything to have what he had. All I knew is he found it in the Bible. And that started a lifelong journey of just saying, I actually went to a Christian bookstore, said I wanted to buy a Bible. And that started a journey for both my wife and I that led to that relationship with Christ that became life altering for us. This is still real and raw for you, folks. If you yeah. if you were looking into Steve's eyes as I am, you're emotional about this. Absolutely. And this is real. It's it's gotta feel like it's almost yesterday. Absolutely. Maybe right now there's a business person who's maybe they're driving in their car, like yeah. you were. They've got the trappings, they've got, you know, success in the world's eyes, but they know something deep inside them is not quite right. Yeah. Maybe they just drove by somebody who's broken down. And right. What have you. I, I don't know. Maybe they're on their uh, elliptical machine working out or running, listening to the program, whatever. And they're discouraged like you were. They're lost like you were. How could you encourage them just with the story you just shared? And we'll talk more in a moment. But how would you encourage that person right now? The encouragement would be this. What did I just experience? What am I feeling? Why is this? I went to the Proverbs and was reading in the Proverbs, and there is a proverb that says, stop chasing after wealth. For when you chase it, it will sprout itself wings like an eagle and fly to the heavens. And I remember again, breaking down and saying, that's me. I had this picture of somebody climbing the edge of a cliff and you'd get to this eagle's nest. And right as you almost got there, it took off and flew just a little bit higher. 
And then I would climb again. And then it would fly a little higher. And it would climb again. Always just out of reach. And if I could encourage all of us, it would be to lock into the truth that God is confirmed. There is never enough, never enough to get there by getting more. That one of my favorite quotes is that the truly content man is not the one who has everything in the world, but the one who needs nothing from the world. We are taught to try and get that contentment by getting more. And if I could encourage you to say that discontent that you're feeling, don't let it feel like mm. you just haven't climbed quite high enough and that the next ridge will get you there. It will lead you on a journey. I promise what you're feeling now will be the next feeling that you get when you get to the next goal. You've got to change your focus. Otherwise the result doesn't change. Folks, we are talking with Steve Zanaco, the president and CEO of Zanaco Associates here in Indianapolis, Indiana. And Steve is giving us incredible stories of really how God broke him from the trappings of this world. And and so, Steve, you, you've you've had tremendous success in your business. And we right. talked a little bit about that. But I know that's not why you're here today. Right. You're really here to share your faith journey and, and how that's played out. So what lessons have you learned in terms of leading and building your business and the role of your faith or how have you tried to integrate it? What's that all mean for you? I'm going to try and answer it in more of a big idea kind of way is that I found that I really needed a shift in my focus and my overall focus and realizing that everything ran through. I have three sayings written on my office wall and I realized that every decision I make runs through one of these grids. And the first thing is, is it going to be God or me? The second is, is it going to be the kingdom or the world? And the third is, am I going to live for now or for then? And when I look at the scriptures, I realize that I face almost every decision I face every day of my life puts me in conflict and right in the middle of one of those decisions. Am I going to dictate my life or is God? Am I going to be my own God, which we see in Genesis from the very beginning is the struggle of man, or am I going to trust God in whatever it is before me, little or big? Secondly, that there is a grand difference between living for the kingdom of God and living for the world. I have to say, I feel like we've been given more permission and maybe delusioned into believing that the world and the kingdom are fairly close together and that we can find a comfortable middle place. Hmm. I have found that in almost every decision, it leads me that I ha will have to decide, just like Jesus said, which one will actually drive me. And third, do I live now just for the now or do I live for the then? And to me, that then brings every decision I have in my day, whether it's how I'm spending my time, whether it's what I say in a meeting, whether it's yeah. how I take on a contract or not take on a contract, and what I give and what I keep, all of it runs through one of those questions or maybe all three. And those three questions really help bring me into a perspective of saying, do I have right focus? Now, the other thing that I think is really important is that I've discovered is I feel like when I first stepped into the faith, I believed that the whole encouragement to do it God's way was kind of because God was God and he had the right to ask us to do that. And as I dug into the scriptures and as I lived more of my life, I realized God has got this heart for us 
that says, I'm not asking you not to chase money because money can deliver and I can deliver, but I want you to choose me. It's very obvious in 1 Samuel and a number of other places where he says, when you leave me, when you lose focus of me, you will focus on things that are futile and cannot deliver. First Peter calls it and says, those are things that will war against your soul. That there is a loving father that says, don't lose your focus because nothing else out there can deliver what I can deliver for you. So that overall focus runs through every business decision, every interaction I have with a customer, with an employee, it doesn't matter, with a waitress. It just changes everything. And I feel like one of the things that drives me away is when I start to believe that outcomes are up to me. And that as a capable business person that I feel like we get pulled into and actually are even told by people that depend on us that we start believing some of our own press clippings. And in that, some of us, we get things stolen, contentment and peace stolen from us because now all of a sudden the result is up to me. And I want to share one story that I thought was so powerful for me. I was actually sharing Christ with a guy, an unbeliever who was a doctor. He was a transplant surgeon. Uh, With all my great persuasion and all my sharing, I made very little impact on him. Uh, About a couple weeks later, he called me and he said, I have to see you, Steve. And I said, okay, well, when do you want to set a time? He said, no, I mean, I have to see you right now. And he came over to my house and he said this to me. He said, Steve, I realized that honest, when I would come out of a transplant and I would save a child or a person and the family would look at me and say, thank God, I actually had in my mind I saved that child, not God, because I did the skill. I did the touch. I did this thing. He said, I realize today that outside of God's touch, I am no better than that hammer that is on your workbench. And it set him free in a way of realizing. And I realized my struggle often is the same thing. Do I believe that I'm just the hammer? Or do I believe I'm actually the answer to this? And there's tremendous peace (laughs) and release in realizing I'm just the hammer. But if I'm outside of the hand of the creator, I am no better than it sitting on the workbench. So to me, that's been this thing of just saying, if I really believe that in every question answered and every outcome that it is, I can't tell you the power that it delivers as well as the peace that it brings. Because I just tend to be a control guy that believes that if I say the right thing, if I make one more phone call, and when I could start to begin to release that, I just saw God work in bigger and more powerful ways. Now let's revisit our time with Alan Barnhart, President and CEO of Barnhart Crane and Rigging Company. Memphis, Tennessee. Alan, thanks for uh, agreeing to spend some time with us and welcome to the show. Oh, my pleasure. Just take a moment and share with our audience what your company does, and then we'll get to the personal side of things. Well, great. We we basically pick up and move heavy stuff. So we do that. uh, We have 40 branches around the U.S., and we uh, work mostly in heavy industry, a lot in the power industry. We put up wind turbines. We do a lot of work in the nuclear power plants, a lot of work in oil refineries and and, uh, steel mills. So mostly it's heavy industrial lifting. And uh, give us a little bit of history on the on the uh, on the business here. Great. My mom and dad started the business back in 1969 with a pickup truck and a ladder and a welding machine. And 
Um, they operated the business for about 17 years out of uh, our international corporate headquarters was two bedrooms of our home that I grew up in. <laughs> and uh, it was very much a mom and pop business. And they wanted to keep it very small and controlled. And uh, so that was that was the start of the business. You said before we began this interview, you said you have a really boring resume. So I think you got involved very early on, it sounds like. I did. I was a paper boy for a little while, and then I came and started working for the company and worked all through high school and college, um, and I really have never had another job. Came right out of college and came to work in the business. So. What different roles have you had over the years? Well, I've swept the floor, and I've been an iron worker and a crane operator and a salesman and a dispatcher and done, done pretty much everything. I'm an engineer, um, and uh, so basically done it all. Well, Alan, you really have set the, a, a trail in many ways in this area of leadership and of a Christ follower in business. Would you mind taking just a couple of moments and sharing some of the unique things that uh, you've been a part of uh, with what you've done with ownership and structure and kind of how things are, are set up here? You know, when we started the business, my brother and I were partners. We were 50-50 partners. But as far as we were concerned, um, everything that we have, everything that we are has come from God and belongs to God. And so we're stewards and not owners. And that's the way we always looked at it. When the company grew in, the, in 2005 to 2008, the company grew a lot from a $50 million company to a $250 million company and became worth a lot of money. And as far as we were concerned, God owned the business. As far as the IRS was concerned, my brother and I each owned half. And if something happened to one of us, there was going to be massive estate tax issues. And as we started going through that plan, we said, this um, it's so expensive and difficult. We, we need to try to find a way. This is God's company. Let's see if we can find a way to give it away. And so we... Uh, in 2007, 2008, we gave away 99% of the company, and then a few years later gave away the last 1%. So we're no longer the owners, but in our mind, we never were. We're the stewards of the business. Now, wait a minute. Let me get that straight. You said we gave away the ownership of the company to God. Structurally, what does that look like? There's a charity that, sh that owns the shares of our company. The National Christian Foundation, it's in a trust there, and so they, own, they are the stockholders of our company. We continue to control it and operate it. We're the, uh, we're the trustees of the voting trust, so we, we operate the company day to day. The charity didn't want to do that, was not willing to do that. but we, uh, So we continue to be uh, full steam ahead trying to have a great company. At, as stewards, like we always were, we just don't hold the, the shares of stock. Uh, some people think it's crazy, but I think for, for believers it makes perfect sense. It's just a natural extension of what we believe. God owns everything. Everything has come from Him. And if having it having the, the shares of the stock in a different uh, entity is beneficial to the kingdom, then why would we not do it? That's phenomenal. So this was uh, roughly, what, eight or nine years ago that you were going through this planning process, it sounds like. What did that do for you or in you and in your heart or day-to-day, -day, your thought process? What, what, what was that like for you to go through that process? Well, it was not a traumatic thing. We had, in 1986, when we started the company, we had said that God owns the business. And all the way along, we have just taken a salary from the company and used the proceeds of the company for kingdom purposes. And, and so that started from the very beginning. Um, and so when we decided to put the company into this trust, it was not some gut-wrenching, yeah. uh, hard-life decision. We had done that back in 86. And so 
did you feel any sense of relief or you talked about getting the IRS out of the equation? Maybe that that was a good thing. Oh, it was. That's that's exactly what it was. It was it was relief. We were, we're stewards and we want to be good stewards. And we felt like we had a hole in our stewardship as we, you know, if one of us had died, we hadn't really uh, been good stewards of that potential uh, issue. And and so putting this in place gave us additional freedom. And have you you've you've had a chance? You've shared this story all across probably the globe, perhaps, right? And um, I'm going to speculate here because we haven't talked about this, but I'm going to speculate that perhaps you shared this story and and maybe there was some rich young business person that's come up to you and said, "I could never do that." Uh, and maybe there's one listening right now to the program thinking, wow, I could never do that. What, what would you say to them? Well, you know, I mean, some people do think it's kind of crazy. We did this when we were in our 40s, and, and our, our first set of advisors said, this is a bad idea. Don't do this. But, but uh, I, to me, it's just I'm an engineer, and I'm, I try to, I'm logical in the way I approach things. And this just seemed the logical progression of what I believe. I believe that everything I have has come from God. I believe I'm going to live forever. I believe my life on this earth is a small speck of my total existence, and I think um, being a steward um, has been an experience of freedom, not an experience of bondage. So we've had 30 years or more of, of walking this, and we've just uh, seen it as a uh, not some gut-wrenching, hard, uh, disciplined thing, but just as freedom that comes from God. So we've, we've seen it as a, a natural, logical thing to do. And what kind of principled advice would you get? And please also talk about the dangers of money. I, I wrote that down. You, you, that was a statement you made. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, on the dangers of money, Jesus talks so much about it. I mean, he said it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, watch out. Be on your guard against all forms of greed. On and on. He went, he told the parables of the um, the four soils and how the third soil was the, the, the deceitfulness of wealth choked out the fruitfulness of the person. And um, on and on in Scripture, um, you can't serve God in money. There are just so many verses that would talk about money being a danger. And so as I read, the, I read through those when I, was, when I was in my early 20s, and uh, it really is what set the trajectory for us. As we were looking at all these verses and the concern about both the, the reality of stewardship and the danger of affluence, um, is what caused us to put some of the things in place that we did when we started the, when my brother and I started our company in 1986. And so, uh, what advice would you have? Well, I'd say, I would say, handle money with care. Jesus talked so much about it, and this was before Madison Avenue. This was 2,000 years ago. It was a big deal then. It's yeah, a big yeah. deal today. Yeah. Um, do it on purpose. Um, when it comes to decisions about money. Um, I think that most believers would say God owns it all. So ask the owner what he wants you to do. And, and don't do what comes naturally in this area. Like, like many areas, if we, don't do what come, if we do what comes naturally, we'll mess up. And if, we, if, we be in, if we're intentional and looking at what Scripture has to say, um, it will lead to freedom. You know, constraints in our life lead to freedom. And a life without constraints leads to bondage. And I think so godly constraints or constraints that come from Scripture are there to, to lead us into freedom. And, and that's what we found. You've had an opportunity to travel globally and, and share this story. Uh, is there ever any danger in that, in the, the notoriety of that? And how, how do you process that? 
Yeah, it's been a it's been a big deal for us. For the first 15 years we were in business, we didn't tell anybody our story. We just put our head down and worked and made money and and uh, uh, contributed to ministries. And, and but some people challenged us and they said, "This is not your story. This is God's story. He's done an amazing thing at your company, and you need to be willing to tell it. It will be an encouragement to others." And so we. Uh, we kind of embarked on that adventure, and we had a stewardship of the story a bit, and we've been willing to tell the story. And, and I'm not a great speaker, and I'm not on some speaking tour, but uh, when pe- you know, some of the time when people ask, we're willing to go and, and share the story. Not, not just myself, but several other guys here in the business. Is there anything else that you would share maybe as a word of encouragement? Perhaps there's a business owner or leader listening to this program, uh, someone who's dis- discouraged in their leadership. Any last words of encouragement that you'd uh, care to pass along? I would say just continue uh, to be faithful in where God puts you. And everyone's story is going to be different. Um, God has given us all different opportunities. Be faithful where you are. Well, folks, there you have it from Alan Barnhart. Alan, thank you so much. You're so kind to extend this time today and uh, just appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. Folks, we'll catch you next time at Bottom Line Faith. This is Ray Hilbert saying we'll see you soon. We hope you've enjoyed our look back at some special moments on Bottom Line Faith, brought to you by Truth at Work. To hear more from these guests and other Christian leaders in the marketplace, visit our website at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also download and subscribe to the show on Google Play and iTunes. From all of us at Bottom Line Faith, we want to wish you a happy new year and thank you for listening.